Good morning, Sanctuary. How's everybody doing? Good, good. Uh, on behalf of our staff and our elders, we want to say welcome again to the Sanctuary Covenant Church this morning as we enter into worship, um, as we continue in worship. I, I, I have this t-shirt um, that I wear on far too many Sundays that says Sunday Fun Day, and it's starting to t- at tatter, and my wife hates it. But I really do hope that Sundays will become fun days for us, that we look forward to being together as the people of God on Sunday. Amen. So uh, we will be uh, doing some things from time to time to, to cause you to loosen up and stretch your understanding of what Sunday should be about. Um, and I, I hope you will join us on this journey as we move into Sanctuary 3.0. Uh, my name is Andrew and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited to have this moment to share uh, from God's word with us this morning. Um, we are kicking off a new series today called Summer Jams. And so we will be, over the next couple of weeks, uh, talking about music and faith and life and our life together as a people of God. And I want to begin this morning um, with a very simple statement that God speaks. God speaks. God speaks to us in all sorts of ways. I'll go even farther and say that God speaks to us sometimes in ways that we might never have expected. Those of you who have been in church for your whole life or have been a student of the Bible, even some of you who are new to the faith will agree when I say that God speaks. God speaks to us in all sorts of ways, and God speaks in ways that we might never have expected. Psalm 19, verse 1, one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. God is always speaking to us. Not only does God speak through nature, God speaks through uh, the text. The, the scriptures tell us that God spoke through a donkey. God speaks through dreams more and more and so much more than that. And if God can speak to us through the trees and through the clouds and through the ocean and through the mountains and through a donkey and through our dreams, I'm convinced that God can speak to us through anything. And if God can speak to us in all those ways, surely God can use a 90s hip-hop song to speak to us as well. Perhaps 90s hip-hop is not your thing. In the coming weeks, God will speak to us through an 80s rock song. And if we're lucky, God might even speak to us through a nursery rhyme. I don't know about you, but few things drive me to my knees as much as my two-year-old in the back of the car singing Baby Shark over and over and over again. Friends, I'm serious when I say that God speaks to us in countless ways, especially through music. And so we're kicking off today this series that we're calling Summer Gems. I believe if we listen carefully to some of our favorite songs, those songs can point us to a very deep truth, deeper truths than the artists ever intended for them to teach us. And I believe if we are attentive enough, we might even catch a glimpse of God's goodness. So today we start this series with one of my favorite songs of all times, a song that you just heard by the name of Summertime by DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince, a.k.a. Will Smith. This song paints a captivating picture of an incredible summer day in the city of Philadelphia. I love the entire song. I love the beat. I love the ad-libs. I love the feel of the song. I even love the cutting up in the background. If you listen carefully, there are just some guys in the back of the song. They're not really saying anything. They're just cutting up. 
Just you, you, you ever been accused of cutting up like in the back of the classroom? There's some guys in the back of the song just cutting up. If I were in that song, I'd be those guys in the background just cutting up. This is really a perfect song for the summer. And by the time you reach the third verse, you're ready to pack up all your stuff and move to Philadelphia. You don't believe me, do you? Can we get a little crowd participation? Can you just put your hands together like this? On the two and four, two and four, and I'll just get it together. It's late in the day, and I ain't been on the court yet. Hustle to the mall to get me a short set. Yeah, I got on sneaks, but I need a new pair, because basketball courts in the summer got girls there. The temperature's about 88. Hop in the water plug just for old time's sake. Break to your crib, change your clothes once more, because you're invited to a barbecue to starting at four. Sitting with your friends, because y'all reminisce about the days growing up and the first person you kiss. And as I think back, make me wonder how the smell from a grill could spark up nostalgia. And all the kids playing out front, little boys messing around with a girl playing double dutch while the DJ is spinning a tune as the old folks dance at your family reunion. The six o'clock rolls around. You just finished wiping your car down. It's time to cruise, so you head to the summertime hangout. It looks like a car show. Everybody come looking real fine, fresh from the barbershop or fly from the beauty salon. Every moment for and then maxing, chilling in the car to spend all day waxing, leaning to the side, but you can't speed through two miles an hour so everybody sees you. There's an air of love and a happiness, and this is the Fresh Prince new definition of summer madness. <laughs> Summertime. <laughs> I ain't doing that part. That's too high. Summertime. All right, all right, all right. Isn't that a fun song? <laughs> oh, man. I'm glad my grandma's not here. She would get me. Listen, when, when, when you listen to that song on repeat, um, you, you begin to see yourself in the song. You visualize the picture that Will is painting for us. You're transported into the lyrics, and you, you see yourself there in the midst of a beautiful summer day in a wonderful city just living it up. Brothers and sisters, in the end, I have to confess that while I love this song, what's special about this song isn't limited to Philly at all. What makes this song one of the most important songs, in my opinion, ever written is that it paints a picture of what life in the city could be and should be. Jazzy Jeff and Will Smith, a.k.a. the Fresh Prince, they do us a favor because they help us to focus our eyes. And if we, we will let them, they help us to see cities in a new way. They help us to see the city in the way that God does. And here at Sanctuary, as we journey together as a multi-ethnic, urban, multiplying movement, reconciling the people of God to one, to people of the city to God and one another, we must grow in our love for the city. Brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that we will not be a blessing to the city if we do not love the city. Cities are an incredible global gathering place where vast numbers of God's people are brought together in close proximity. 
In cities, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of people come together, bringing with them their culture, their traditions, their values, their stories, their hopes, their dreams, and so much more. And if there's any place where Jesus-loving, justice-minded churches are needed, it's in cities such as the one that we call home. And so hear me again today, Sanctuary, when I say we will learn to bless our cities as we learn to love our city. My intent today is encourage us to grow in our love for the city. I want us to love the city like God loves the city. Perhaps you've never thought of it that way. But hear me when I say this. God loves cities. God loves our city. God loves cities. From Genesis to Revelation, there are more than 1,200 references to cities. Not only that, many of the most pivotal moments in the life of the church took place in major global cities. When it was time for the coming of the Messiah, God sent his son, and he was born in a city. Jesus suffered, died, and was resurrected to life in a city. On the day of Pentecost, God poured out his Holy Spirit on thousands in a city. And when we read of the vision in Revelation 21, at the appointed time, Christ our Redeemer will come and receive his people unto himself and dwell with them. The imagery that we get of that day is that of a new city where God dwells with his people and wipes away all the brokenness of this life. And it's that vision of a new city that I want us to take a few minutes and lift up this morning before we enter into communion. I want us to actually reach beyond Revelation 21, all the way back to the words of the prophet Isaiah, as he says, even more poetically than DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince do, he paints a picture of a city, a new city, a new Jerusalem, God's holy city. And so if you have your Bibles, would you open to Isaiah 65? Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 21. If you have it on your phone or an iPad, you can join us there. Isaiah 65, verse 17 through 21. As always, we want to encourage you, bring your Bibles. Bring your Bible with you. Don't just take my word for it. Bring a Bible so you can take notes and you can revisit this stuff throughout the week. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17 through 25. Here's what the word of God says. See, I will create. New heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought a mere child. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them, or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor would they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. And they will neither harm nor destroy 
on all my holy mountains, says the Lord. Amen. The book of Isaiah is considered by many to be the most significant book of prophecy in the entire Bible. Isaiah the prophet is also seen by many as the greatest of all the prophets. While he was at times very unpopular because he brought a hard message of repentance, most would agree that we would not have a full picture of salvation or of Jesus Christ our Savior without the words of Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied and he called the southern kingdom of Judah back to God. First, he brought this very convicting, scathing message that warned the people that because of their disobedience, that judgment and punishment was to come for them. But at the very same time, Isaiah offers a word of hope and and consolation, telling the people that even though they had turned from God, there was coming a day when God would send a Messiah, a suffering servant, a sovereign Lord who would bring about their salvation and restoration. The book of Isaiah begins with hard news and ends with the announcement of good news. And it's there in that second half of the book where we find our passage for today. In these verses, Isaiah paints a picture of salvation and redemption, and he does it by describing a new heaven and a new earth, this holy city where God would dwell among God's people. God says through Isaiah that there is coming for God's people a new Jerusalem, a city of peace where the broken things of this life would be no more. No more weeping. No more crying, no more infant mortality, no more premature deaths. God would be, God's people would build houses and plant vineyards, not for their oppressors, but for their own enjoyment. Isaiah says that in this new city, God, God's people would finally enjoy the work of their own hands. Brothers and sisters, that might not mean anything to you. It might not evoke any emotion for you. But when I read that statement that they would build their houses and finally get to enjoy them, that they would plant vineyards and finally get to eat the fruit of them, my mind goes straight to my grandmother and my mother and all the older black women that I know who spent their lives cleaning other people's houses, taking care of other people's kids. Even on holidays, before they can enjoy the holiday themselves, they had to go and work to make sure that somebody else's holiday was great. I think about my uncles and my grandfather who who works 15 and 18 hour days sometimes on other people's farms as farmhands just so that others could get wealthy. And Isaiah says there is coming a day when God's people will work hard and enjoy their own work. The rewards, the fruit of their labor would be their own. Isaiah says that day is coming. And he paints this picture of what God will do when God redeems all of creation and builds this new heaven, this new earth, this holy city of God. And brothers and sisters, as we think about what it means for us as a church to love our city in a way that God loves our city, there are two verses that I want to highlight right here. The first is Isaiah 65 and 17, where where the Lord says through Isaiah, Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah helps us because Isaiah offers good news But he begins by acknowledging that there are some things broken right now. Here's what I know for certain. Nobody sent me an email about this. I I just know it. A church like ours, which says we want to love the city 
struggle sometimes because there are some things that happen in the city that aren't quite lovable. There are some hard things that take place in the city, and we don't always know if we can acknowledge those hard things. Sometimes when we say we love the city, we feel like that means I have to love and accept everything that comes with the city. Brothers and sisters, Isaiah gives us good language to say that you can love the city without loving all the things of the city. When you see brokenness and violence and pain and aggression and you wonder, can I say something about this? Does it make me a racist if I point that out? Or maybe you're like me and you're like, does it make me a sellout if I say I don't like some of the things I encounter in the city? The truth is, if we are going to love the city in the way that God has called us to, we must be able to acknowledge the fact that while we love the city, there are some things that are not quite as God intended them to be. In fact, living faithfully in the city is living with some holy dissatisfaction. Holy dissatisfaction. When you see the image that the Fresh Prince painted for us, and then when you see the image that Isaiah paints for us, and then you look at the city as it is today, you have to have some holy dissatisfaction. And you should not be guilty about that holy dissatisfaction because it is that dissatisfaction that helps us to trust God. It is that holy dissatisfaction that drives us back to God in prayer. And it is that holy dissatisfaction that causes us to say, I want to join in the work that God is doing of restoring the city to what it should be. So when you see brokenness, don't cover your eyes. Don't pretend. Join God in what God is doing in the city because he has promised us in Isaiah 65, 17, that I will create a new heaven, a new earth, a holy city, a city of God, a city of peace, where all those broken things, all those former things will not be remembered anymore, nor will they come to mind. And if you are a person like me who needs an image of what it will be like, Isaiah 65, 23 gives us a beautiful image that for me this week resonated with me deeply. Here's what Isaiah 65 and 23 says. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord. They will and their descendants with them. When I go about the city serving and living and, 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 and enjoying what the city has to offer, one of the clear signs of brokenness that I see is that things like poverty and family brokenness, and all the various forms of dysfunction, many of them are passed down from one generation to the next. Talk to a young person who's struggling, and then you ask them about their, 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 their father or grandfather or an aunt and uncle, and you see much of this dysfunction is not just a person making bad choices. Much of this is generational hurt, generational harm. But Isaiah paints a picture that says, in God's time, and because of God's faithfulness, there will be a day where all this generational dysfunction, this cycle, will be broken. Hear me when I say this, friends. Perhaps it doesn't mean as much to you as it does to me. I know that being born into poverty is one of the most difficult things that any person will face. If you're born poor in most cities, it's nearly impossible to be anything but poor yourself. I know that's not what the American dream tells us. 
It tells us if we just work hard enough, we'll be able to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But the research shows that the greatest indicator of future economic or educational condition for a young person is to simply look at the condition of their parent. If their parent is poor, the overwhelming majority of them will be poor themselves. That's what the research says. But the good news of the gospel says that God is breaking into these cycles and there is another story, another possibility. The text says that God moves his people from a cycle of misfortune to a cycle of blessing. It says that he lifts up those who have been cast down. It says that he liberates those who are crying out for freedom. Brothers and sisters, this is good news for this life and for the life to come. And so we pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We look to this picture that's painted of heaven because we know that God is beginning the work even now. And that work doesn't happen simply by hocus pocus. That work begins and that work happens because God has invited you and I to join in the work of making all things new. Sanctuary, that's a bold statement that you regardless of how you think you don't have the tools or the influence or the resources to do it, God has called us to the work of helping to make all things new, and God would not call us to something for which he has not resourced us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, I'm inspired today because Isaiah reminds us that God cares about the well-being and the flourishing of God's people in our city. And that means that we should have full confidence that God also cares about issues of family and education and economics and health care and homelessness and immigration. God cares about all those things. And because God cares about those issues, we as the Sanctuary Covenant Church have to care about those issues as well. A huge part of our work in this next season is figuring out practically how do we as a church not just gather for great songs, not just coming here inspiring, wonderful, life-changing messages. That was a joke, guys. <laughs> how do we join in the work of transforming the city, joining God in the work that God is already doing? That's our prayer. That, that has to be a huge part of our prayer this summer. Lord, what does it mean for Sanctuary to not just be here in this wonderful building, but to be a part of the fabric of this community? Let that be a part of your everyday prayer. And I believe that God has already made a way. God has already opened doors that need to be opened for us to impact this community. And he's just waiting for us to begin to move forward. And so is there anybody in this room inspired by the vision of a new city? Can anybody say amen around that? Is there anybody who believes that God is changing all the things that have been broken by sin? God is restoring those things. Can you say amen around that? And is there anybody today willing to say, I join with God and what God is doing in the city? Can you say amen around that? 
Brothers and sisters, here's simply what I'm trying to say. God loves our city. God loves Minneapolis. God loves St. Paul. God loves the Twin Cities Metro. God is at work in our city. God is inviting us to join what God is already doing in our city. And he's waiting on us to just say yes. I want to close this message today by actually uh, initiating a conversation with a brother who um, every day his life is centered around this question of what does it mean for churches to serve the city. I believe a part of what I want to do this summer for us is to invite some voices beyond my own to speak into our life. One of my core values is that wisdom flows in a number of different ways. It's not just me speaking into you, but I believe there's some of you who can speak into the life of our congregation as well. And so I want to invite Chris Brooks to come up. Um, Chris, is, can you give Chris a round of applause? Chris is a husband, a pastor, uh, a professor, um, a writer, speak all kinds. He does everything, um, all kinds of stuff. Chris has been a part of Sanctuary's community from the beginning, served as an elder for a number of years here. Um, and I thought uh, Chris teaches about the kind of stuff that I spoke about today. And so I thought it would be good for you all to hear from him as well as hearing from me. Just a couple questions before we jump into, uh, into communion. So thanks for joining us, Chris. Thanks for having me. Your mic's on. Good. Good, good, good. So, so Chris, you, you've heard me say today that God loves cities, that God's doing an incredible work in the city, even if it doesn't seem like it sometimes, if it's hard to see. And God is inviting us into that work. Would you agree with that? And if so, could you just say a little more about that? Yeah, so I want to start out by saying God loves people. Yeah. Uh, we're created in his image. We are the most treasured thing in, in God's eyes. And so one of the data points that I think is important for anybody who cares about evangelism or cares about engaging people to know is 80% of Americans live inside of a metro area. 80%. 53% of American land is completely uninhabited, like nobody's there, nobody. And this is only going to increase. Urbanization is, exp- is expanding and accelerating. So um, one of the key reasons why my theology is very city-centric is because there, people are in cities. And I'm not saying anything negative about outlying areas or rural areas. My father's from a rural area. I'm from a rural area. Edrin's from a rural area. Yeah. Um, but we have high-density of people in cities. And I believe, like Edrin said, I won't belabor the point, but the Bible is a story of going from rural to urban. Mm. It's, it's, a, it's a continuum. And so the, the earth is just sort of going along in the narrative. And the last thing I'll say is this. When I conducted some research on cities to try to discern um, what's the best way for churches to engage cities, one of the things that I learned is that there are churches all throughout metro areas that have sort of their own, for lack of a better way to put it, brand. But if you go to John 17, mm-hmm. um, the longest prayer of our Lord in Scripture, mm-hmm. it actually is, in my opinion, the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about, may they be unified so that the world will believe. Yeah. yeah. It is extremely difficult to be unified with somebody you're not in proximity to. We don't have yeah. that problem in the city. Yeah. So we've got some very uh, difficult but I think it's an opportunity, some work to do around building unity, building consensus, getting down to like core orthodoxy. And Sanctuary is a very unique church in a very unique place mm-hmm. where we can actually achieve some things that a lot of other churches cannot. I'm super excited about this season of our, 
our ministry as a church. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Chris, when, when I think about cities um, and as just praying and preparing for this message, three themes that kept popping up for me are, are Jesus, family, and hope. Mm-hmm. Like, do those things mean anything for you? They do. So I've got a picture that I'm going to put up that was October 2017. I was in Pakistan. And I grew up in a very conservative church uh, that had sort of a conservative global missiology. And it was always the West to the rest. We have the answers. They have the problems. We have the gospel. They don't. We take it to them. They receive it. All of that stuff, right? Well, I went to Pakistan, and I I was a part of what I consider to be the strongest Christian community I've ever been in. Mm -hmm. Um, In a 97.8% Islamic nation, there's this group of tens of thousands of Christians Um, many, many, many of whom are in human slavery, making bricks 16 hours a day, six days a week. And they just are on fire. Uh, They're they're like Pentecostal Pakistanis. (laughs) Um, And this picture is, I I had just gotten done doing a speaking engagement, and this woman came up to me and handed me her baby. I mean, think about it. I'm a stranger, right? Like I'm in a crowd. She comes, she, she hands me her baby. And these were her words. Please pray for my child because she's a girl. I think in this neighborhood, if we were to have some candid conversations, um, many parents would come to our church and say, please engage my child because they're black. Because hmm. black kids don't do so well in our metro area, although we like to pretend they do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came back from Pakistan. My, when I went there as like a, a missionary, it sounds very strange even coming out of my mouth, but I came back as a family member. Mm-hmm. And now my mother, the pastor that brought me over there, his name is Pastor Tariq. My mother calls him son. He calls my children children, even though that makes them kind of feel awkward about it. But, you know, like, this is the way that we need to think. The way that we need to think about our neighborhood, our community, is that we have to think about people as members of a family. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, I was telling Edrin this as we were preparing for this. There's this quote. I used to teach urban studies, and there's this quote from Jeffrey Canada that just haunts me. It haunts mm-hmm. me. And the quote is from um, Waiting for Superman, and it's, what is our responsibility to other people's children? Mm. Yeah. If you put the word biblically in front of that sentence, biblically, what is our responsibility to other people's children? It causes us to think some pretty deep thoughts. So that I think, again, I think that's an opportunity for us as we're driving down the streets and we see kids cutting up. And, you know, we drove in this morning. I was like, there's so much trash. Mm -hmm. People just need to be engaged. Mm -hmm. I love the parking lot next door. What an opportunity. Yeah. I can't wait to get out there, by the way, when the time is right. You're always welcome, brother. (laughs) Yeah. Well, last thing I'll say, um, this, this space that we occupy right here used to be a white castle. Some of y'all remember. Yeah. I used to fight in that parking lot. I used to shoot at people in that parking lot. <laughs> so this space represents an, a significant geographical transformation of a part of my personal narrative. Yeah. So I, I just, I, when we got this property, I could hardly believe it. Yeah. I just remember bombing in the parking lot out there. So. Yeah. 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 Chris. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask you to pray for us to wrap up this time. And as we prepare to move into communion, can you just pray um, specifically around sanctuaries calling to love the city and serve the city? Sure. Yeah. So let's pray together. Father God, we recognize the stewardship of this piece of property, the stewardship of the vision of this church, the stewardship of the lives in this community. And we are, we are thinking eternally, but we recognize that there's a whole lot more at play here than just eternity. Yes, Jesus. There's day-to-day lives, life to the full. And Father God, we pray that you would just give us wisdom and courage, a combination of the two, to properly engage the beautiful people that you've placed in this community. They are not the problem, God. They are the solution. 
It's not about us. It's all about them. Yes, Jesus. And so we pray that you would help us to live a very parish-based way of life, thinking of this community as one big family. Yes. Certain parts of this family have assets. All the parts of this family have assets. Um, certain parts of this family have some really great needs. And we just pray, God, that you'll help us to look at your kingdom balance sheet and reallocate resources so that this community would rejoice and point to you and say, you're a good, good father. Yes. And so, God, we, we commission ourselves this day uh, to be on mission with you, to be on mission with our church. Yes, Lord. And to go, therefore, um, as family members, not as missionaries with all the answers and all the solutions, but, God, really trying to figure out what is our responsibility for other people's children. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you help me thank Chris for sharing with us today? I want to invite the worship team back up as we prepare for communion. Uh, Chris touched on something that was super important to me. Um, this idea of seeing this community as family. Uh, just day to day as we're here in the office and moving back and forth from this building to the next. Every now and then you run up on a, a dice game that gets out of hand. Every now and then there's a fist fight in the parking lot. There's some offering of, of substances that will alter your mind from time to time. And sometimes in the moment, I'll get frustrated and get upset. But then I look at the people who are doing those things, and I see myself. I see my cousins. I see my uncles and my aunts sitting at that bus stop cutting up. And it changes my, my disposition towards them. Now, maybe it's harder for some of us in this room to see the folks in this community as our family than others. But I believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see one another as brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, cousins. And if we're able to see them as family, we will change how we approach these brothers and sisters. We will change how we even refer to these brothers and sisters. I hate when we say those people. Can I ask you, as your two-weekend lead pastor, that we stop saying those people? That's a practical ask. Can we just stop there? I pray that God will open our hearts, break our hearts for the thing that breaks God's heart, and that is his children, whom he has created in his image, living lives that are less than what he intended for us. Sanctuary, we're going somewhere. And I pray that you will say yes to joining us on this journey. One of the things I think about when I think about family is, is when my family gathers, can't speak for your family, but we get together around the table. Communion is one of the most sacred practices in all of the Christian faith. And God invites us to come and sit at the table that has been prepared for us. Because the table is not just about eating and drinking and being full. The table is also about being healed. The table is about being restored. Regardless of what the world has said about you out there, when you sit at the table with those who love you, something happens. Transformation begins to take place. So today I want to invite you, my brothers and sisters, to the table. 
come over here where the table is spread feast of the Lord is going on we're gonna drink drink from the fountain that will never ever run dry and we're gonna shout shout hallelujah shout hallelujah by and by on the night when he was betrayed our Lord Jesus took bread and when he had blessed it he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me later that night after the supper he took the cup of wine and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood he said as often as you drink it do this in remembrance of me the Apostle Paul reminds us in the New Testament that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So brothers and sisters, because I love you, because I see you as family, you're invited today to come to the table. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are an inviting God a God who calls us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And a God who calls us beyond being spectators into being your missionaries, into being your messengers. God, I pray that we would continue to grow in saying yes to what you've called us to be and do here in the city. We want to love your people. We want to acknowledge the brokenness but never forget to remember the hope. And so God, as we move into a new season, we ask, Lord, that you would lead and give us the courage to follow. I pray, God, that you would unleash resources wherever they are needed. I pray that you would raise up leaders where we need them. I pray that you would destroy the lies of the enemy wherever they creep up in our minds and in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for ever being too afraid to do it, ever saying thanks but no thanks. God, we want to chase after you. The love and grace you've given us. We love you today, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.